building up godly men for a better tomorrow. This is On the Edge with Ken Harrison, where we inspire men of integrity to put faith into action together. Just before we get into today's episode, we'd like to invite you to subscribe to our weekly devotional group. Just text the two words, Promise Keepers, to 31996. Every week you'll receive a challenging devotional that will inspire you to put your faith into action in the real world. Again, text Promise Keepers to 31996. And now, here's today's show. Hey, Steve Arterburn, you wrote one of my favorite men's books, Every Man's Battle. And man, that book that you wrote, was that 20 years ago? It's yeah. more appropriate today and more applicable today than, than ever, which sadly is, is true, but it needed. No, it, it really is. And I, I think about guys that get stuck and they're in trouble. And maybe it's because they just don't realize how much they have going against them. You know, if you were a farmer back in the 1800s and you know, there there were no pictures, no images, you know, pretty much you and your wife and the kids and the animals. Uh, there wasn't a temptation thrown up at you every minute of every day. And you had a much better chance of avoiding getting in trouble. But today, just just, just a little bit of vulnerability. And, uh, you know, I you, you get hooked on just starting with some inappropriate images and then the pornography and all of that. And it starts very young and it erodes all of the values. And, you know, I, I just think that if a guy should give himself a break and should be able to say, hey, there's a reason they called that book Every Man's Battle. Everybody struggles with this and you have to come to a place uh, and it's easier for some than others but a lot of us come from some broken stuff without uh, great dads. And if we could just, you know, kind of live into that, then maybe it wouldn't be such a big deal for us to say, okay, there's a broken area of my life. I need to go get some help for it. And, and then you get to experience the benefits of sexual integrity. You know, we always talk about the bad stuff, but there's some great benefits to living with sexual integrity. And a lot of people have literally never done that. And, and you have a pretty, I mean, you, you have personal experience with this starting off when you were, what, four years old? Oh, it, it was horrible. You know, my, my parents were really strict Southern Baptists, but for some reason... Isn't that a redundancy? <laughs> yeah, it's true. <laughs> but, you know, they were they were really dedicated and committed Christians. My, my dad was a deacon in the Baptist church, but for some reason, they didn't think it would hurt me as a four-year-old, to start going into my grandfather's office. My grandfather, he was just a, a man without a faith. And there were pictures of naked women all around his office, just hanging there. And uh, my grandmother was such a wonderful woman. And, and why he would you know, disgrace her this way, I don't know. But I can tell you what those pictures look like today. You just never really? forget that stuff. Wow. One of the pictures was uh, the fold-out of Marilyn Monroe in the first Playboy magazine that was birthed the same year I was, 1953. And uh, he had that thing hanging up there for four years. And I remember that that centerfold. So 
so that that put the seed within me. Then, you know, in my um, nine and 10 year years of age, then there were some teenage boys that started talking to me about pornography, you know, the old magazine and the field thing. And that led to promiscuity and and connection with other women with sexually, not necessarily sexual intercourse, but it was a sexual experience. And uh, all just kept going and getting worse and worse until I got a girl pregnant and then paid for her to have an abortion. But it's been a, a really, really uh, horrible experience. And I'm fortunate that I'm able to see the benefits of not living that way. Because, you know, Ken, a lot of people, a lot of men, they live a life of duplicity. It's a double life, a two-faced life, and they just think that, that that's the way it is. This is me to my wife and children, and then this is who uh, I'm going to be to everybody else or the, the other men that, that really don't have many standards. And it's such a great thing when you realize duplicity is a problem. And when you commit yourself to authenticity, deciding that you're going to be the same there and here, um, it's a totally different picture. And, you know, you're really free like you've never felt it before. But if you think it's just normal for every man, you know, to kind of put on a front for his family and then be something else uh, at other times, then, you know, you're going to be pretty miserable. You may not even know the source of your misery. There's two ways to sort of fool yourself in this, sort of have Satan fool you. The one is, well, every man does it, right? So everyone's into pornography. And you know, sometimes I hear these statistics, 70% of Christian men are into pornography and whatnot. And so guys will hear that and go, well, I guess I'm just like everybody else, so it's no big deal. The other side of it is the guy who's addicted to pornography, who, who's like, oh, I'm, I'm so vile, I'm so horrible, I've got to hide this secret because I'm so disgusting. And the truth is in the middle that it's not okay. Jesus said, if your eye causes you to lust, cut it out of your head, meaning do whatever it takes to not be a lustful man. But on the other hand, uh, over here, it's not like it's not like it's an unusual thing. And it's how do you you deal with this? You're an expert at this, dude. I mean, you're, you're not just a pastor. You're not just a best-selling author, but you deal with sex-addicted men, many of whom get that way at eight or nine years old. So you've dealt with this on the front lines. Yeah. So here's what I know that guys that have been essentially hooked on pornography, and, and I, I really do believe that some, some guys you could say innocently fell into it. You know, it wasn't they were going out to be rebellious and sin and all that kind of stuff, but they stumble onto it. Uh, but a, a guy that's, that falls into it and has been dabbling in it on and off for a few years, you're most likely, um, you've done every kind of experiment you need to do to prove that you have an extreme limitation. You cannot solve this yourself. You can't set a date and say, after that point, I never will. Or you can't say, I'm going to get up in the morning and read the Bible and pray more, and it's going to go away. The thing that if I could convince any guy struggling is you're going to have to reach out and develop some relationships with men who've been where you are and who have experienced sexual integrity, and they want as many other people to join them. 
you know, when when we do the Every Man's Battle workshop, we do it once a month over a weekend. And, you know, people say stuff that isn't true. They'll say, well, no one should come unless they're ready to get get better. Well, that's not true. Uh, If they need to be there and it's our job once they're there to get them ready. And if a guy is a sex addict, what would you rather him be doing? Be at a conference he doesn't want to be at or just doing the same stuff. But when he when he comes, he meets other men that look a lot like him. Some of them were way deeper in the weeds than he was. And others, they aren't. They, they quit earlier. But he develops a feeling of belonging maybe for the first time with other men, because he's got this shameful thing he's been trying to keep from other people. And that, I I believe that connection with other men, you know, men become men in the company of men. I think that's really the beginning of the solid healing process. And, And you go from there to, you know, regularly meeting with other men, talking about your story. And, um, you know, a lot of people think, well, I've got to figure out what's this horrible wound in my past that's motivating me to do that. I just think that's stupid because what you need to do is figure out a way to get a few days without pornography and then a couple of weeks. Then you can start going to recovery groups and uh, and and maybe get some real-life Christian counseling. And maybe that'll help you with those wounds and things. But you, you, you can't get fixed just by discovering, oh, this is what happened to me, and here's how I reacted. You have to put together a recovery program, and that recovery program requires humility, honesty, and other guys along the way. So obviously one of the ways to find those other guys is through your ministry, New Life. Right, yeah. But absent that, I mean, how, how do you find guys who struggle? I mean, it, you don't walk up to people in church and go, hey, do you have a porn problem? Can I talk to you? You know, I mean, so how do you find those guys? The only way I know of would be to go through new life. Well, um, what we do is, you know, we tell you about what we do. And then we're pretty aware of uh, some of the resources that are available in churches. And most large churches um, have some kind of a ministry that would help you. My church, uh, we're Northview Church, and we in Indianapolis. Yeah, in, in Carmel, Indiana, is the uh, is the main campus. So I'm a teaching pastor there, and there are about 250 men every week in in these uh, every man's battle groups at mm-hmm. that church. And a lot of those guys don't go to that church. You know, they they go to another church, but they want to come to these groups. Uh, just to feel safe and that nobody's going to know what they're dealing with in their own church. So I think if, if, well, if you called us, we try to help you find a church, but if there's a a recovery ministry or a counseling ministry, uh, that church is probably going to have a place where you can, uh, you know, get some really good results. In our church, we also have um, groups. My wife runs them for women who have sexual integrity problems. And, and that's just a growing um, area where women are stepping forward finally and saying, uh, I got to deal with my stuff too, whether it's pornography, lust, or affairs, it's a growing problem within the church. But there are safe churches with great resources. You just have to be willing to um, to go 
and want to find them. And uh, you could call 1-800-NEW-LIFE and we'd help you find them. Now, and you, uh, if someone's listening to this going, okay, I need help, but I'm so jacked up, I, I can't, you know, face it. You had me go to one of your recovery sessions for the first hour. Yeah. And the speaker there was was kind of going down the list of all the sexual problems. And I I left there kind of traumatized. Like I didn't even I'd never heard of half the stuff. Yeah. So I can say if you if you think you're too jacked up, you're not, because uh there there were guys of every race, age group. There were guys in that group that I was with uh, there they were like 80 years old. I mean, so quite a quite an array of of things. Yeah. And- you know, that that first session is trying to get people to see that this is for you. You're not the outlier. This, this is quite common. And I think uh, Jason Martinkus is the one that does it. And there are a uh, few things that he wasn't involved with. But the counselors that are involved and the other speakers, pretty much before the day's over, uh, somebody's covered what you've been struggling with. And, you know, one of the great things is a lot of guys come and they struggle with same-sex attraction. And, you know, the world tells them, well, if you have this attraction, then you must be gay. Um, And what they discover is that this proclivity that they have has to be restrained and can be restrained, just like a guy who feels like he he needs to have sex with every woman that's married that he meets, you know, he's got to restrain that or anybody with feelings toward children or animals or whatever else the Bible tells us isn't God's best. We can, with the help of other people and a recovery program, we can not only restrain those things, but have great victory over it. And they're just, they're just thousands of stories where that has happened. And so there's great hope for anybody. And the the thing that we believe is when you start to get help from the right place, you're not shamed there. You're um, you're really accepted and you're treated just like all the rest of us sinners. And we don't think that this sin um, is any worse than the others. It has worse consequences. There's no question about that, but it's a sin. And every uh, sinner I know is addicted to their favorite sin, and every addict has a lot more sins than this. So we deal with sin, and we deal with addiction both. Yeah, I like the fact that you said every addict has more sins than this, reminding people that addiction is sin. Yeah. The world tries to tell us that it's a disease. It's, it's, a, it's a disease, all right. It's the one that's going to bring you straight to hell if you don't <laughs> repent, right? Well, so Here's what I call it. I, I call it this official title. It's a problem. <laughs> and and you either admit it's a problem or you don't. And if you want to call your problem a disease, if you want to call it a phase, as long as you realize this is a problem and I've got to do something about it and nobody is going to fix it if I don't decide to do something about it. That's all I'm looking for. So I just like to call it a problem. And for some people, it is an addiction. And for some people, it isn't. I love to see people get involved before they ever become addicted. In fact, Fred Stoker and I, when we wrote Every Man's Battle, everything in there would work for a sex addict. But we really wrote it for people who weren't sexually addicted 
they were, you know, they just weren't there yet. And so uh, I think that's why it really does help people no matter what level uh, that you're in. The worst thing that I see is this thing called learned helplessness, where a guy just gives up and he says, this is who I am. I deserve this or I can't change this. And he just falls into it and it becomes who he is and erodes everything that he believes in. That to me is the saddest thing. Yeah, I've gotten to be on your show a few times. You have this awesome show. It's a call-in show, like a Christian Dr. Laura sort of, you know, where people call with some really tough questions and you and you got some great people, Dr. Sherry on there that answer the questions. And I've gotten to be on there as a guest and answer questions. And one of the things I observed, because as you're, as you're sitting there in the studio, up on a screen are all the people that are holding and what the questions are so that you know when you, when you answer the phone. 90% of the questions all have sexual perversion orientations. I mean, <laughs> that's true. all these problems have to do with people having sex outside of a loving marriage between a man and a woman. That, it's unbelievable. Well, you know what I've said many times? We could do a program called Sex Talk and have plenty of callers. Our call screener has to go through and find people that it's not all about sex and it's not easy to do. But it's such a pervasive problem. Uh, just like you say, almost every one of them intertwined somewhere is, is some kind of a sexual perversion or addiction or problem. And, you know, it's it's been that way for a very long time. I think I, I'm going through, I'm doing this um, for Tyndale House. I'm, I'm writing devotional material for the one-year Bible for men. And when you look at the Old Testament, every time uh, these guys turn away from God. They've got prostitutes in the uh, in their temple to their gods, and I mean it's just sex. Every they got male prostitutes, female prostitutes. It's sex everywhere. You've got Eli's sons seducing women that come to the temple to try to help out. He doesn't do anything about it. I would call that rape, by the way. Yeah, that's right. That is exactly. They want to come in and make their sacrifice. They have to have sex with them first. That's not seduction. <laughs> <laughs> no, that's right. That is exactly right. So, so it's something that has, um, it's been with us a very, very long time. And we're so saturated with it. You know, if you were an alcoholic, and your favorite drink was vodka, and somebody walked into your office about every 15 minutes, and offered you a martini or, or a vodka Collins or whatever it is you drank, it'd be really hard after a year of that for you to always say no. Mm. And if you're struggling with pornography and you're trying to deal with this on your own, I mean, it's coming at you from every angle. You, you need a filter to try to keep it from there, but nothing's going to be perfect. But when you finally decide that you want the benefits of sexual integrity, where here's something that a lot of guys have never done. Wouldn't it be great if you could feel good about yourself throughout the week versus having some experiences that make you feel a little bit better. The adolescent is out there looking for stuff that feels good. The adult male needs to be looking for things that make him feel good about himself so that he can take his place alongside other adults. What happens is we don't do that and we become the little boy looking at dirty pictures. And the wife becomes the angry mother who is threatening 
the little boy, shaming the little boy. Well, who, what mother wants to have sex with a little boy? That's not attractive. So you have to become the man. And it's really important that you see, well, let me just tell you another thing. This is one of the things I talked about when I spoke for you guys. When a guy is uh, bonding with pornography, which is what sexual relationships do. That's why they're so great and need to be in a marriage because they bond us to each other. There is this uh, oxytocin, this hormone that starts flowing and it bonds us to our wife. It's the same chemical that bonds a baby uh, to mom, a supernatural bonding. And she, that, that woman, when she's bonded to her baby, through nursing and things like that, she will kill. The cave woman would go kill a lion to protect her baby from anything that was a threat. Well, when you're having sex with pornography, you're bonding with pornography. And so it's it's really a supernatural, not just an attraction, but an attachment to pornography. Your wife becomes a threat to what you're bonded to. And so you don't understand why it is. You're not just using pornography, but you can't stand her anymore. In fact, you're, you really develop some hatred toward her. Well, it's because she's a threat to this supernatural bonding that's occurred between you and pornography. And that's one of the reasons you can't undo this on your own. You don't have the power to do it. So we've got to get away from the pornography. We've got to start the recovery process and, and with the help of other people and the power of the Holy Spirit, uh, we, can, we can win and we can be victorious. But we won't do it if we're continuing to try to do it on our own. Man, how incredibly powerful of a visual is that? That uh, you actually become more protective of your pornography and see your own wife as a, an enemy. And a lot of guys, when I tell them this, I mean, they're sitting there going, oh, my gosh. No wonder things fell apart in our marriage when I really got uh, stuck into this stuff. Let's talk about the women for a minute. Um, okay. We just had our, our marriage summit a, a little while back, and we had 100,000 people watch it live. It was really oh. phenomenal. And, and amazingly, with the amount of mail we get with negative this and negative that, we didn't get a single negative thing on that marriage summit. I mean, it was overwhelmingly received. But we did receive some mail from some women that was heartbreaking. And some of that mail was, I wish, you know, I loved everything in your summit. It was really groundbreaking. I just wish you'd take on abuse more often. And I had a few different versions of a letter that basically were, you know, my husband is a, a respected guy in the church. He's got a pornography problem. And most of the time he's a decent guy. But sometimes he'll just fly off the handle and beat me silly. Or he'll start screaming Bible verses at me about me submitting because I'm not willing to go all, all the way into the perverse world that he lives in. And, and these women are saying, who's going to help us? Who's going to do something about it? So, you know, I'm, I'm sure you've dealt a lot with the, the wives of this sort of, sorts of thing. What do you tell them? How did they encourage their man to get healing and what should they do? Well, I would say two things. I would say that your solution that you've chosen doesn't work. And the other thing is, for you, the bigger problem is within yourself than the problem that you're not able uh, to impact with him. Now, let me be really clear. 
I'm not saying that you're the problem. I'm saying that your strategy to keep this quiet, to not reach out for help when he beats you, to not call the police, that's the big problem here that's keeping the status quo. And we know that God uh, does not honor peacekeepers, which you are. He honors peacemakers. Amen. And sometimes you have to disturb the peace to make peace. I don't know of any instance where passivity is the answer to any problem. And so when a woman says, well, I don't want to destroy his reputation in the church or whatever, then you're choosing passivity. You are enabling evil to exist in your home. So that's why I say we got to deal with you first. We've got to get either the courage within you or we got to bring people around you to help you with courage that, you know, two or three women together, you might be able to make the decision. But keeping it secret, living in your shame and silence is going to keep this thing going and you'll never have a chance at having a real relationship with him or discovering that he doesn't care about you once he's found out and uh, he just continues on his way. So it takes the woman being willing to take action for any of this to change. It just makes sense. You, you, you must do something and we don't know where you live. We don't know what he's doing because he looks so good. He's figured out how to look so good to everybody. But you would not only save yourself, you would save other women who would hear what you did. And then they would step forward and they would have the courage to no longer let a man under the guise of Christianity, faith, or godliness abuse a woman. Jesus did not abuse women. He honored women. And any man that's doing anything other than honor his wife has no place in church leadership. You're not following Christ. You're following you. What about a woman who says, I, I'm afraid for my kids. I, I don't want to humiliate my kids. I don't want them to find out that their dad you know, has sexual problems. Same answer. So um, you have to develop a plan. I knew a woman who knew that her husband uh, was a sex addict. And so she also knew that she couldn't support herself and that when she finally did something, he was going to lose his job because he was a preacher. So she enrolled uh, in online counseling, got her master's degree in counseling, went through all the hours, set up her private practice, took her three years to do it, which is pretty quick. And then she went to the elders of the church and said, my husband is a sex addict. Here's what he's done. Here are the affairs he's had. And here's how he's treated us. Mm. Now she was ready to support her family. Now her kids loved their dad because he was forced to face the truth about himself. And they have a real relationship now based on reality. But maintaining the lie uh, isn't a good thing. And I'm not saying that you instantly, I mean, if you, if some women today confronted their husband, their life would be in danger. If they went outside the marriage and, and called church leadership or the whomever, uh, you know, he, he might come and kill you and kill himself, them, himself in the shame. 
So I don't suggest that you do something uh, impulsively, but I do say that you have to decide I'm going to do something and I'm going to find the safe house for us, or I'm going to get the restraining order. And then I'm going to, you know, put in place the things that I need to put in place. And then I'm going to uncover this because, um, but I'm also going to tell him before I tell everybody else, either you're going to get some help or I'm going to, I'm going to force you to get help. And sometimes that's enough for a guy to start going to meetings and get into a recovery program. Uh, but you have to, you know, every case is different. You have to be sure that you're safe. And so I say to a woman, find safety, find a plan B outside of him. And once it's in place, then no longer keep the secret that's destroying you and, and probably uh, destroying the church too, because um, you know, it's just creating a superficiality there that benefits no one. Steve, if a woman wants to find a network or some other women to help her in this, is there any resources she can go to to find other women who walked in these shoes before she? Well, um, one thing we do, we do a, um, a workshop called Restore. Now, it doesn't mean that you're going to restore your marriage because he may not be willing to do that but we'll help you restore your faith, uh, your strength, and, um, and really your, your, your power to go through life uh, with God and with your kids, uh, if you have kids, and to create a meaningful and, and a, a purpose-filled life. We kind of look at it as repurposing your life. You know, you thought you were gonna get married, I had these kids, uh, maybe you worked, maybe you didn't, but you had this little scheme planned out, and that was your purpose, have a great family, and do some other stuff. But now, uh, you're going to have to be the breadwinner and all kinds of things, and God's just going to honor uh, that and, and is going to bless what you're doing. But it's very hard for you to feel blessed when you're maintaining a secret. But if you if you called us, we would tell you about uh, Restore, and then maybe we would help you try to find some of these meetings uh, where the, your, the wives of men or the girlfriends of men, uh, ex-fiancés, uh, attend, and they're getting the help that they need. Now, I was just talking to someone the other day, and she went to one of these meetings, and the, the lights just came on, and her, her hope was uh, there for the first time in years. And she was encouraged and she wasn't alone anymore. So there is great hope and help for you. Even if you just do some things online. With COVID, a lot of meetings have gone online and you can get some support uh, through Zoom chats and phone call meetings that just weren't available a year ago. Today's episode is brought to you through the generosity of Waterstone. For nearly 40 years, Waterstone has assisted givers in supporting their favorite charities, like Promise Keepers, by crafting customized, innovative giving solutions. Waterstone gift strategists stand ready to create your personalized charitable plan, utilizing business interests, real estate, appreciated assets, charitable trusts, giving funds, and more. 
these donor-specific giving strategies allow givers to bypass capital gains taxes, receive a fair market value charitable deduction, and have tax-free growth for years to come. Prioritize income, minimize taxes, and optimize your giving with Waterstone. Find out how to give and receive the most from your assets by visiting www.waterstone.org. And now, back to today's show. So we're talking to Steve Arterburn about sex addiction, porn addiction, how to find recovery. What does it mean in your Christian walk? And, you know, we talked about the men. We talked about the effects on women, how they get help. But Steve, what about kids? Because you know, men have a way of being in denial about different things and saying, well, this is my problem. It doesn't affect anybody else. And we've seen the devastating effect it can have on kids. And maybe if a man's out there listening to this going, I'm still not convinced, maybe knowing the effect he might be having on his own children, you know, because you know, honestly, in many cases, perversion begets perversion. And men who struggle with sex addiction raise sons who struggle with sex addiction. What, what would you say about that? Well, first of all, let me just talk about the impact it has on a father-daughter relationship. Yeah, yeah. Um, there's been some fairly extensive research, and in the revised version of uh, Every Man's Battle, we put some of this in there. But the research was very difficult, and uh, there actually you could question the ethics of it. But they found these guys uh, in their 20s who had never been exposed to pornography or had a problem with pornography. And they brought them in and they exposed them uh, to pornography. And the statistics were really weird. Um, nine sessions with pornography. And these men, uh, you know, they took all these tests beforehand, but their belief in equal rights for women went down about 50%. I read that study. Yeah. So, so, so that, that's an indicator of a bigger problem that's going to impact his relationship with his daughter because he doesn't see her anymore as a full equal uh, to men. He, uh, he will not have the same relationship and he may set her up uh, to be objectified by a man, get into unhealthy relationships. Now, when you're stuck in the weeds in a problem, you're, you're not going to lead your son out of it. If you've got a lot of shame, uh, anything you do spiritually, uh, the, the kids are going to kind of feel like it's not really valid. And so you're going to have all sorts of problems. But the real sad thing that we hear over and over again is, and I just I hate to even bring it up, but you think you're doing this privately and secretly. And then one day your daughter or your son walks in on you and you're using pornography and your pants are down below your ankles. And now everything you've tried to build in them, whether it's character or integrity or an authentic relationship with you, it's, it's just I imagine how horrifying that would be to see yeah. that. Because you don't want to think of your, your father in those terms. And so it's it's really a um, it's a very serious insult to the parent-child relationship because it involves all of who you are. It affects you spiritually. It affects everything within you. You're you know in adolescence we have a job to integrate 
our sexuality in with all other parts of us. And when we don't do that, or we separate it out as an adult, you've got all this stuff integrated, emotional, spiritual, social. But here's this box over here of sick sexuality. And it's not integrated within you. And the people around you are going to be impacted by that. You know, the, the good example of this is in, in their spiritual uh, values, the guy that goes to church and says everything right, and then he lives like hell or he's mean to all his employees the next day, he obviously hasn't integrated spirituality and his spiritual life into every other part of his life. It's just, it's a box. So he'll really be fulfilled and have a, a strong faith once he integrates it together. Well, same way with sexuality. You're not going to come and have a healthy relationship with your wife if you've got this unhealthy box over here. So what are you going to do when it's not magically, wonderfully working out with her? You're going to think she's the problem. You're going to pressure her or you're going to shame her or you're going to lash out at her and and be be full of rage because she's causing all these problems within you but she isn't you're causing them mm. and so when we humble ourselves become open uh, and honest and we're willing to do whatever it takes to develop integrity things really do start to change in our lives and including maybe for the first time having some authentic relationship with our our children Ravi Zacharias Mm. So, you know, when you and I were young, I was younger than you at the time. <laughs> I guess I'm still younger than you. That's the way it works. You know, we saw we saw Jim Baker. We saw Jimmy Swagger. It wasn't a good time to be named Jim. That that's for sure. It was bad. It was a. Yeah. Yeah. It's kind of like today. It's bad to be named Karen. You know, unfortunately. <laughs> yeah. Right. <laughs> It really rocked the church. It was the 80s. It was a very Christian time. Ronald Reagan was president. And I remember just the, the huge scandal of that. Now, you take Ravi Zacharias, what's come out today. And it's amazing, actually. One of the things that it goes to show is the amount of post-Christian world that we're in, that it isn't bigger news. Yeah. But it's still news within the church. Ravi Zacharias, very respected, sort of the modern-day C.S. Lewis, you know, apologist, brilliant taught at, at many colleges and it would take Q and A's and handle questions brilliantly. We come to find out that Ravi who died in a, a really a painful, awful cancer death last summer. Then it came out that he owned some massage parlors, some legit massage parlors in Atlanta, but he was using them for illegitimate purposes. He was going in there and kind of working out his sexual fantasies with these girls who did not mean to be doing that. They were resentful. These were normal masseuses, licensed therapists, who complained, and when they complained, he got one of them fired. And now all this stuff's starting to come out, and we know that there are going to be reports coming out. It really is a horrific thing to look at, you know, the fall of Jerry Falwell, to look at the fall of uh, this Lens guy from, from the church in New York. And now you look at Ravi, a man who was so distinguished. I mean, I remember my son, uh, who, who really loved him, and when I texted him the news, he just said, tell me it's not true. I mean, of all the people, my son looked up to Ravi Zacharias and Tim Keller, you know, so much. So it was just really devastating for him as a college student to see. What do we say as Christians when we continue to see Christian leaders whom we respect, who have these double lives? And you use the the, the word duplicity. I, I might use the word hypocrisy, which is a more damning word than you did. 
And the Bible has some things to say about hypocrites at the judgment seat of Christ. They're the ones who are all thrown into the outer darkness. I, I wouldn't want to be a hypocrite. What do you say to people about that? Like, how do we keep trusting our Christian leaders when we keep turning around and finding out that they've lived these double lives? Yeah, it's um, it's really um, a tragedy beyond all tragedies. I mean, just the other day, um, well, a few months ago, I had heard uh, a mention about Robbie, but nothing had been researched or anything. But just a few days ago, I was uh, listening to the 2004 talk that he gave in the Mormon tabernacle, where he was invited by the Mormons to come in and speak on the sufficiency of Christ. Mm -hmm. And he did it so beautifully. So what does this tell us? This tells us what we do know, that, that God has been using broken people uh, for a very long time. Mm -hmm. and, and he puts a calling on a person's life, and that calling stays there. And if we could help a person get help rather than enable them, they've got an opportunity uh, to get help, be restored, and continue with their calling. Uh, the, the first high priest that, that God ever hired was Aaron, and he ends up worshiping a golden calf. But God didn't take that calling away from him. He restored him, and he remained the high priest. Over in the New Testament, Jesus tells Peter, you're going to head up the church here. And uh, pretty soon he's saying, I never met Jesus three times. But, but Jesus didn't take away the calling. The calling stayed. And he restored Peter. Well, if somebody had intervened with Ravi early on, you know, maybe he could have gone through some years of treatment and restoration and then risen back to a place of authentic leadership. But it's sad that all of this great work is now going to be tainted. So I would just say this. Number one, God uses broken people. And that's not an indictment on God. What Ravi did is not a reflection of God. It's a reflection of a perversion of a person who believed in God and taught God's truth. The second thing is, you know, when Bill W. wrote this book, big book for AA, he used this term that addiction is cunning and baffling. And uh, it just kind of sums up what I believe. I do believe there is a sexual addiction. I would have to say for Ravi to put in jeopardy, all that he put in jeopardy, uh, he'd be like, uh, you know, an alcoholic addicted to alcohol. You just don't care the downside, you have to do it. And so uh, I would just say that we, we un we underestimate the power of addiction. And, and if we could really truly see how powerful it is, we would see how it could just totally engulf a man known for truth and integrity and speaking for God, and it could destroy his legacy. And even, to, of course, it is going to destroy the faith of a lot of people. They're going to say, man, if that's, if that's what Christianity is, I'm not going to be part of it. But I, I think also, it should be a cautionary tale to all of us that nobody is exempt. And as you and I were talking the other day, James um, 5.16 uh, doesn't say that, wait, no, it's not that. It's in John, where it says, the truth will set you free. But it doesn't just say the truth will set you free. Ravi knew the truth, but he wasn't free. 
It says, if you hold to my teaching, you are truly my disciples. Mm-hmm. Then you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. So you have to do what Jesus tells you to do. But James 5, 16 says, confess your sins one to another and pray for each other that you might be healed. In secrecy, there is not healing. It just perpetuates the problem. So it's too bad that Ravi didn't have somebody that he went to and open up and say, I need help with this. It's tragic. And it's gonna have, I think, a tremendous impact because of the credibility that he had and the brilliance that he had and the assumptions that people made about him in his private life to the good, when in reality, it was a horrible, horrible thing that was going on. Let me take a different side of that too. Uh, Not a different side, but an added on side. There are some people who listen to that, especially women, I think, and they're going, man, but where's the justice? This guy, he got to die before it ever came out. So nobody knows. But let me bring up a couple of things. Christ said, don't forbid the little children to come to me. He had the children come sit in his lap. And he said, anyone who causes one of these little children to stumble be better that he was never born, is basically yeah. what Jesus said. And Jesus wasn't talking about kids. When he was talking about little children, he was talking about his believers. Ravi is going to be the source of the stumbling of many believers. And Jesus said he will be punished for that. We have in 1 Corinthians 11, the Apostle Paul telling the church, do not take communion without examining your own heart and having a pure and unrepentant heart. And he says, some of you have, and you are dying. You've gotten sick, and some of you have even died. What did we see with Ravi Zacharias? There was an unsearched heart, blatant sin, and he died a very poor death. And I was talking to a good friend of mine, you and I know, both know, whose father-in-law just died. He was 101. He had been a, a fighter pilot in World War II. He lived for Christ his whole life. He was a humble, godly man that nobody ever heard of. When he died, Steve, my friend, our friend, was sitting there reading scripture to him while both that man's daughters were massaging his feet and his wife was spooning him. And he said, it was one of the most beautiful things I've ever seen as this man passed into heaven, his legacy, his family, all around him with great affection, his son-in-law reading scripture to him. You compare how he died to how Ravi died. There is justice, and I just want to let everybody know who may be tempted to, to uh, stumble in this area to, to look up and see that God's justice is always fulfilled. He has forgiveness. He has love, but he also disciplines, and there is justice. We don't need to worry about what's fair because God's in charge, and he knows what's fair way more than we do. So. I, would, I would add to that. If you're looking for life uh, to appear fair on the surface— because uh, you don't know what's going on. You don't know what's what privately the hell that Robbie put himself in. You don't know what he's going through now. But, you know, I, this little saying that fair is where pigs win ribbons is really true. <laughs> life, life is not fair. And and the, the grace of God um, is the only hope for Robbie Zacharias. And it's our hope, too. None of us. Uh, are free of sin. But again, we can look at his situation. We just don't know so many of the elements of what did happen with him personally, spiritually, and what happens now. Yeah, and so anybody who's listening is thinking, well, why are you beating up on him? We're not. No. We're We're exposing truth because people need to hear these biblical truths because we want to rescue as many people as we can who might be tempted to go off down the wrong road. 
last last subject because you know we brought this up too about stumbling and we started off with your own story of failure you were a christian you were going to a christian college you were a well-respected guy but you had a secret habit of looking at pornography which led you to get a girl pregnant and then horrifyingly you you really being instrumental in her having an abortion and you suffered the consequences of that choice what 30 years later that came back around yeah tell us that story and then remind everybody that you can be a Christian and have a really big screw up and still end up writing a, a best-selling, incredibly influential book and being incredibly used by the Lord. What happened with me is I, I did make a, a major uh, turnaround. And, and I, while I was still in college, I did repent. And it was such a dramatic change. A lot of my friends didn't think it was authentic. <laughs> they thought I was faking it, you know, and and uh, then I started having Bible studies and went to seminary and they said, okay, this might be the real thing. But um, so I turned around, went to seminary and uh, got a master's degree. And then eventually uh, Baylor asked me to come back and speak at chapel. That was the school you were going to. That's, that's where it all happened. And so I shared this story uh, with the kids there at Baylor, hoping, you know, maybe I could prevent it from happening with them. So I got home and I got a phone call from the young woman that I had pressured to have the abortion. And I had just told these folks that I had paid for the abortion, but she's the one, and my wife makes sure that I always use that word pressure, but she, she called to tell me, you didn't just pay for it. You made sure I knew you would not be there for me or for our baby. I wanted to have this baby. But you pressured, you manipulated, and you made me believe there was no other choice. And so I had that abortion. So here I was thinking it was one thing or kind of fantasizing that it was, well, we agreed that we would have this abortion. But it wasn't. I, I was the one that pressured her to kill her our baby. And uh, so it was a whole other level of shame and coming to face with what a coward that I had been. And, you know, fortunately, uh, I had a way of dealing with that shame. When I paid for the abortion, I almost died. I had about 80 ulcers eating at me, just the physiological uh, aspect or result of shame over that that abortion. So I I just don't want people to ever think that you get off scot-free. You don't. It also doesn't mean that you're gonna be condemned your whole life Uh, to be punished uh, for your sin that you've repented from. God still loves you, has a plan for you, and as I mentioned earlier, can repurpose your life. What was that like, having to deal with a sin from decades earlier? Now you're a respected pastor, best-selling author, and now you're dealing with That must have been really hard, because it wasn't who you are now. No, it was... um, well, you know, um, one of the things about a mature man is he stops long enough to examine the impact of his behavior on other people, especially his family, versus the macho man who feels entitled to act however he wants to act. Well, here was this unknown impact that I had had on this young woman. And uh, it was it was just very, very painful 
to know that I had inflicted this on her. And then, you know, she didn't have anybody at Baylor to talk to. Uh, she didn't have anybody to go to. There's no funeral for that baby that was destroyed, the fetus. Uh, there's no grieving process with other people. It was just a horrible thing that she revealed to me, the details of her pain and sorrow. And so I, um, it, was, it was horrific to have to deal with that years later. But you were completely forgiven. Yeah. You were in dealt well with the Holy Spirit. And so as we close out, for someone who's listening to this, they may have received this uh, from somebody else who said, hey, I think you need to hear this. How does somebody come to know Christ? How does somebody have their sins forgiven? How does someone know for sure that they're going to go to heaven? Yeah. Well, I tell you, um, I've heard people say, uh, well, I'm a good person. Or you'll hear somebody commit some heinous crime and people in the neighborhood will say, well, I, I, I think he was a good person. Um, I don't know what a good person is. I'm not a good person. If my goodness was, was the, the thing that determined heaven or hell for me, I know my heart. I know what I have to confess and repent of uh, on a regular basis. And, and I don't think that you have the power within you to earn your way to heaven. It just doesn't work that way. And when we look at the, at the life of Christ, who comes down to earth and pays this price, dying on a cross, going into the grave, being risen by the, by the power of God, and then ascending into heaven. When we, when we hear that, it might sound a bit strange, but it is the price that was paid for your sin. Now, I, I'm not just going to take that story at face value. What is the evidence that this really happened? Well, the evidence are, are people like Paul, who had an experience with Jesus on the road to Damascus. Jesus came back, is with Paul, and Paul goes from killing Christians to winning people to Christ. Another incident with Paul, uh, he goes to heaven, and he says in Scripture, I went up into heaven. He says, I don't know if I was in my body or out of my body, but I saw things so wonderful, I, I can't even tell you about all of them. I don't think that Paul would have come back to earth and lived and died for Jesus the way he did, experienced stoning, suffering, all that stuff, if he had gone up to heaven and there were a bunch of Buddhists or, or uh, other faiths, he came back because he was convinced Jesus was the only way. And when Jesus said, I am the way and the truth and the life, and no one comes to the Father except through me, I believe that God has, has the right to have criteria for people to come into his home. Jesus is the criteria. You don't just let anybody into your home, neither does God. The only way that you can be with a holy God is for that sin, that, that horror of sin to be paid for, and it was. So you can accept this free gift, or you can continue the futile fight to earn your way to heaven, and you will not win that fight. You cannot earn. It is a gift to you, but you have to accept the gift, and it's just this simple. 
Jesus, I believe you died on the cross to save me, to pay the price for my sin. I, I submit to you. I believe that your death saved me. And I want to tell other people that they can be saved too. It's just that simple. And, and if you can accept Christ into your heart, say, Lord, I accept you as my Savior, the only way I'll get to heaven and the best way for me to live here, then you will be saved. And you will experience life in a totally different way. You'll be filled with the Holy Spirit. Then you come around some other people that help build you up in the faith, and you'll have a life uh, that many people never, ever experience because they're too stubborn to humble themselves and say, Jesus, you are the only way, and I accept it. Is there anybody who's too evil to get saved? What if someone's listening to this and they've killed somebody or they've been with prostitutes and drugs? Are any of those people excluded from being saved? No, I killed someone and I'm absolutely whole, 100% convinced that I'm going to go to heaven. A thief on the cross believed in Jesus, and I don't know what all he did besides just steal, but he'll be in heaven. And so uh, we can mess up, we can be the worst of the worst. But having worked with Prison Fellowship, uh, I know of the stories of some of the the, the people who committed the most heinous crimes are leading Bible studies on death row. They've turned their life over to Christ, and they're experiencing a new kind of life, and anybody can do that. You are not beyond the grace and mercy of God and, and Christ. And one of the great things about the Bible, one of the greatest truths about the Bible, it's hard to even imagine what this means, but it says that God is rich in mercy. That's because God is love. And he loves you so much that his mercy is there for you. And through his son, you can be saved no matter what you've done. He still loves you, just like you would love a child no matter what they did. You know, if anybody wants to look more into this, I would encourage you to read the book of John. Um, now, there's a book of John, and then there's 1st, 2nd, 3rd John. You want to read the one that's just John. The first John. I mean, the John at the front of the New Testament. <laughs> yeah. So if you go to your Bible, and you go about three-quarters of the way towards the end, you'll see Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, and pay special attention to chapter 3, where Jesus really lays out the case and says, if anyone believes in me, he will not be condemned. But if anyone does not believe in me, He's condemned already. And every one of us is a sinner. Every one of us, is, as those of you who heard this show many times have heard me say, we're just beggars telling other beggars where we found bread. Right. And um, God hates hypocrites, but he sure does love repentant sinners who come to him and say, Lord, I can't do it on my own. I just throw everything on you. And he just has a way of gathering up his little bad children into his lap and loving them. But mm -hmm. he, uh, he also has a way of disciplining his little children who, put on bad faces and run around hurting other people. And so let's be those humble little children, no matter how bad we are, let's be repentant and honest about who we are and crawl into our father's lap and say, I'm not worthy of your love, but you're going to give it to me anyway. If I just face up to who I am, Steve, you're awesome, man. Thank you for everything you're doing. It's just well, uh, amazing. Thank you, Ken. You always do a great job on my program is honored beyond with you. And I've told so many people, uh, your heart, 
um, Vance, the other people in leadership at Promise Keepers, this is not an organization that's just about a, a bunch of men trying to keep their promises. I'm telling you, the heart of these men in leadership, they are wanting real, live, authentic men to humble themselves, connect with their wives, be in redemptive relationship. And I just applaud what you're doing. It really is making a big difference. And I've been happy to be part of it. So God bless you, Ken. Thank you for having me on the program. Hey, would you just real quickly give your websites uh, and your book name again for those people who really want to seek healing? Yeah. The um, Well, first of all, you could go to newlife.com and you could um, see all the resources there, including our Every Man's Battle workshop. You could call one 800 new life. And uh, anybody there would help you with anything. Um, so it's newlife.com, 1-800-NEW-LIFE. I beat all the other vitamin companies and the churches uh, with new life on the name. <laughs> I'm glad I did. But um, also, uh, I want to mention that the, the book is entitled Every Man's Battle. But there's something else I want to tell you. Uh, in 2020, the best-selling men's study Bible was every man's Bible. And I have heard literally thousands of women, I think about a million of them have sold, thousands of women say he never read the Bible until he got that Bible. And so guys, if you want a Bible that will just engage you, make it simple to study and read it, it, it was made just for you. And so get into God's word and, and let God's word get into you. And every man's Bible is a really great way to do it. And you sent me that Bible, and it is excellent. I can uh, give it, attest to it firsthand. Thank you, my brother. Thank you. See you down the road. Thanks for listening to On the Edge Podcast with Ken Harrison. For a lot of you, this is our first time meeting, and I want to tell the men listening about an organization I'm the current chairman of, Promise Keepers. Promise Keepers is an organization founded by Coach Bill McCartney that's led men across the world to a saving relationship with Jesus Christ. Promise Keepers is calling men back to courageous and bold servant leadership. To learn more and get involved in the mission of Promise Keepers, visit promisekeepers.org. Follow on social media or download the Promise Keepers app on Apple Store or Google Play by searching Promise Keepers. Through the Promise Keepers app, you'll receive access to devotionals, Bible studies, and other great articles and video content, and a community to build friendships, lead your family, and become transformative leaders. See you next time for On the Edge with Ken Harrison. This podcast is part of the Edify Podcast Network. Edify is a faith-inspiring app that brings together thousands of the best Christian podcasts in one place for your listening enjoyment. Cut through the noise and grow your faith by diving into the world's top Christian podcasts today. Download the Edify app for free from the App Store or Google Play or by going to edify.app. That's E-D-I-F-I dot app.